Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, back by the woodpile. Fun counter guy, thanks for stopping by. On this podcast, I talk with Phil Oldham, a vintage jazz music lover and collector. We met at the International Association of Jazz Record Collectors Convention, an event in which he is involved and is held in Indianapolis, Indiana. We went off into a side room to chat all good things dusty and scratchy. I started off by asking him the basic question of how he got into jazz music. I ended up getting quite a bit of a shock. got a Christmas present from my aunt one Christmas. It was uh, Louis Armstrong's Ambassador Satch album, and I was hooked. Since then, I've been collecting. Now, where are you from originally? Southern Indiana. Okay. Which town? Boonville. Are you kidding? No. That's my hometown. No kidding. Yeah. I, <laughs> I got to have a moment, man. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a graduate of Boonville High School. No kidding. So am I. 1989. But well, A little later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I can't believe it. Influential place. For you, you mean? Yeah. People ask me uh, where I grew up, and I say I'm halfway between uh, Kurt Hitch Mm -hmm. and uh, Lincoln Park. Okay, yeah. And people can locate me that way. So I assume you you grew up swimming and and fishing in the stripper pits? Oh, yeah. Yeah, same here. (laughs) Old Blue Pit was a nice swimming hole. Yeah, yeah. Long Pit was our favorite one, Yeah. but they've since filled it in. Back home again in Indiana, and it seems that I can see. I was uh, married in 1958 when I was uh, a student at Rose Polytechnic Institute. It's well known for where Bix and Tram joined Goldcat back in, what was it, 24, somewhere back in there. scrounging in the basement of the Terre Haute uh, Goodwill store, finding all kinds of things. At one time, you could get 78s for a penny. Oh, yeah. Then they went up to a nickel and then a dime, and now... Now a dollar. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. (laughs) It's outrageous. So I I started off in swing, mostly. Count Basie All-American and Rhythm Section was one of my early favorites. still uh, tend to specialize in Bix and, and the small groups, uh, the Chicago bands. I'm just a, an accumulator more than a collector. When you started listening to that stuff, was any of these guys still alive? Oh yeah. Uh, I remember going to Freedomland in New York, which is later torn down for the World's Fair, but uh, heard Louis Armstrong and his band. I walked down a, a gravel path carrying one of my kids, and there was Louis Armstrong and his sextet playing away around the, wow. right on the edge of the path. Be my own, tell the rest of my day. I'll whisper your phrase. 
Did you get to know any of these guys personally? Not then. Later on, I uh, I knew Bill Rank. Uh, he was in Cincinnati, and I, I called in Cincinnati a couple of weeks and, uh, of a month, and so uh, once in a while we get together. <laughs> Some of the other Indiana guys, the uh, Sid Valentine, came to one of our board meetings of the jazz club one time. Met Kurt Hitch. I sat with him while uh, John David, uh, the Smithsonian guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he was making a presentation about Indiana jazz, and, mm -hmm. and so I was sitting with Kurt Hitch at the time. He was going to be called on a program. <laughs> Talk about some of the interesting stuff you have. Oh, let's see. I found a, uh, a Louis Armstrong Fletcher Henderson once. It was in E condition. That was a high point. And, uh, Where did you find that at? It was in a mall antique show. It was uh, laying on top of an old record cabinet, like a 78 player, and opened it up, and there were two or three good records in there. That was one of them. I saw uh, one of the records I got later on. I uh, went for uh, $600 on an auction list. Wow. Of course, I didn't get that for it. As far as, now, maybe not stuff that you own, but just like <laughs> if you were to choose like a handful of just like perfect songs that you think someone listening to this who doesn't know a great deal about jazz should you know, seek out first. For an Indiana guy, we've got to start with Hoagie Carmichael. He's oh, yeah. Fantastic composer, and, and he's had some good traditional jazz tunes from the early days of the late 20s. And uh, uh, he was still producing listenable stuff uh, in his final years, actually. He sticks to a record, my big still his rhythm was the talk of all the Congo. He had a kazoo, played a kazoo, and the chuck man rounded out the combo. Did you ever get to know him at all? No, I, I have met both his sons. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was gone by the time I would have had the opportunity. Right. Uh, I did get a letter from his sister once, who was acting as his secretary. Mm -hmm. She tried to renew his membership to the Indianapolis Jazz Club. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, he had an honorary membership, so there was nothing to renew. We, right. we, we thanked her for the check, said, uh, we will never cash it, but we'd like to keep it. Uh -huh. She agreed. Oh, that's great. So the letter still exists someplace in our archives. Georgia. Georgia, the whole day through. Just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Georgia on my mind. Georgia. For folks who don't know, explain the, the, the significance of Hoagy Carmichael. <sighs> He's one of the greatest uh, American popular music composers. Mm -hmm. He was a orchestra leader and uh, just a very, very significant guy. He was an actor as well. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I was wrong, but they say one of the reasons he became one of the first big pop songwriters in the United States was the fact that where he lived, was it in Bloomington? Yeah. That was the crossroads of America, literally, yeah. where all these bands of different 
genres, whether it be jazz or country or mm-hmm. swing or whatever, uh, would come through there. And he grew up seeing. And his his mother was a theater pianist, and so he took lessons from her, and uh, apparently did fairly well. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And so he's known for like great songs like Stardust, right? And, oh yeah, Lazy River. Blue skies up above. Up above. Everyone's in love. Yeah. My old rocking chair. Old rocking chair's got me Rockin chair got you, father. My cane by my side. Yes, your cane by your side. Now fetch me a little gin, son. Ain't got no gin, father. What for? I tan your hide now. You're gonna tan my hide. My favorite is the the cool of the evening. Yeah, that's the one he won the Emmy for. Oh, really? For, uh, the Oscar. Oscar. One, Oscar, I guess it was. Yeah. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, tell him I'll be there. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, you better save a chair. If folks go on YouTube, they can see a hoagie playing piano. A very young Dorothy Dandridge is the, is the dancer. Oh, is that right? She was an unknown at the time, I think. Lazy bones, sleeping in the shade. Now tell me. How you expect to get your cornmeal made You never get your cornmeal made Sleeping in the evening shade Years ago I did an obituary for him and uh, he had his funeral at uh, at IU or in Bloomington actually and uh, I made a listing of some of the songs and it just went on forever. One of the favorites, being a Hoosier, is uh, I can't get Indiana off my mind. And people outside of the state have never heard it. It's just a really good, I suppose you call it swing band arrangement. Back in Indiana, I will find all the folks so dear to me. Duncan Sheik. Uh-huh. Now, some people and the, the young people might get him confused with, there's a, there is actually a pop singer named Duncan Sheik, but that's, this is a... With a K. Yes, this is different Duncan Sheik. He was a photographer known for photographing a lot of the great jazz artists, right. also an author. Uh, right. He did a book on Fats Waller and one on Indiana Jazz. Right. And he did another one too. Twelve Lives in Jazz. Yes, yeah. Which uh, featured his photography. But uh, more importantly, he started the organization that you're a part of. The Indianapolis Jazz Club. Uh, yes, he was one of the uh, 16 or so founding members, but I think he was the uh, the primary one. Right, the driving force. Yeah. yeah. Art Hodes, the pianist out of Chicago, was giving a concert at uh, IU Med Center in the auditorium. And uh, Duncan and some friends of his made arrangements with Hodes to announce the formation of the club from the stage. And then they had brought blank cards for people to fill out, and from that they developed their original membership list and board of directors. This was in 1956, and uh, it grew at one time from those original 16 people up to uh, over a thousand members. It may have been one of the largest jazz clubs to ever have happened here in the United States. What are some of the highlights for you over the years? Okay. Uh, I remember I lived in Ohio for a short time and I drove back to Indianapolis because the jazz club was bringing in Gene Krupa and his orchestra from Chicago. We knew it was a pickup band and uh, with Jerry Fuller on clarinet. And uh, 
I drove in and we found out that uh, uh, Krupa was not going to be there. He was apparently too ill to participate, but he sent a substitute and he sent Bobby Hackett. Okay. And Teddy Wilson was already in the band, uh -huh. and then Jerry Fuller was an accomplished uh, clarinetist, so we had sort of a ghost Benny Goodman sextet <laughs> <laughs> without planning, but it, it was a great concert. We had uh, Art Hodes down as a regular mm -hmm. since he was the, uh, the on the program when we founded. Three with uh, Kenny Deverne, Bob Wilbur. We even had Anita O'Day and her trio one time, wow. which is about as modern as you get. No one to walk with all by myself. No one to talk with. I'm happy on the shelf. Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for you. Well, we had. Uh, Eddie Higgins out of Chicago, and uh, on one concert for one set, Wes Montgomery sat in with him. And that's, no kidding. That's, that album is available. Okay. It was just released this summer, I think. Wow. Uh, from a concert tape. Let's go back to Duncan. Okay. So Duncan had written a book, although his name is maybe not on it. That's right. But he did write it. Yeah, a book about Fats Waller. I think it was the first one. Yeah. And it was shortly after his death, uh, right. Fats and, Waller's. And it, the uh, listed author was Ed Kirkaby, who was Waller's manager. And I think the marketeers decided it would sell better with Kirkaby's name on it. With the Waller book, he was able to interview almost everybody. They were still alive. Yeah, in because, the New York scene. Because really, only Waller died prematurely. Right, he, in how, the 40s. He was in his, how old was he? You know, I don't remember, but he died in, I believe it was 43. Right. So he was, he was he awful was young, young. Yeah. yeah. He was probably about 40. Right. I'd have to look. I know that, uh, at least from, from Duncan, what I understand that Waller was a slave to his appetite, you know, for everything. Right. Yeah. He uh, supposedly was talking about his liquid ham and eggs, referring to his <laughs> bottle. Oh, yeah. Uh, Somebody asked him what he had for breakfast, I think. Uh -huh. Oh, how I love you, honey hush. My heart is giving me the rush. I'm dreaming my dreams. I'm scheming my schemes. Please tell me, yes, my turtle dove. Duncan, he wrote that very, well, what could you say, significant book called The, the Jazz State of Indiana, where he documents all the early bands uh, from this part of the country and gives short biographies of the musicians, uh, gives a little bit of discographical information and uh, uh, he was just uh, the scholar's scholar. Yeah, I was shocked when I 
bought that book from Duncan, and mm-hmm. I thought, man, I didn't realize that Indiana had such a jazz background. I always knew about you know Hoagy Carmichael course and the Janet records, mm-hmm. and it made me think. I, I was like, I wonder if every state in the union has this much jazz, <laughs> you know? Quite a few of them do, but it's uh, not well documented anymore. Jazz is sort of out of fashion unless you're talking bebop, mm. which is what the schools teach as jazz. To me, uh, bebop is as much jazz as uh, bossa nova is jazz. Right. Yeah. And that is the limit of my interest, but uh, I'm a genuine old crock and, mm-hmm. and I can get away with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He produced uh, films, and he wrote uh, advertising copy, and what stands in my mind is the great photography. He didn't just snap a picture. He waited until he could see some meaning in it and then took it, and uh, he came out with much memorable stuff. Who are some of the artists that he captured? Oh, Basie, Dizzy Gillespie, Armstrong, Jack Teagarden. The uh, Newport Jazz Festival was held in Indiana for two years, if you'll remember back in the, in the 60s, I think. And uh, he was there for uh, the first one. And he has some very personal photographs of uh, Dizzy Gillespie and I, I don't know some of the other artists uh, frolicking in the pool. Mm-hmm. He had a, another photo of uh, Louis Armstrong with uh, a do-rag on after a concert, just resting. He has so many photos that, that have become well-known, uh, just sort of stock photo, right. and uh, it's tough to single out a single one right. because he's, he started, you know, he and his wife were uh, table photographers mm-hmm. in New York City, and they would go around to the nightclubs and, and take photos of the table, and you, you, you paid a fee, and they would develop the photos and send it back to you. So I remember he said that one of the first venues was uh, Stuyvesant Casino, and I believe uh, 39, I think, he was very young. Mm-hmm. He had an Argus, was it C3, a very early camera, and that's what got him hooked on, on photography. And he wasn't just a jazz photographer, you know. He, he actually, when he was on active duty in the military, he was at uh, Bikini Atoll taking photographs for the Army. Right, with the nuclear mm-hmm. bombs, yeah. And so he was involved with that. I know that he had a collection of uh, World War II aircraft nose art photographs that uh, people didn't know he was involved with. Uh, he was interested in a lot of things. And he also played jazz too. Yeah, especially was the piano. Back to the Indiana Jazz, his yeah. book there. What were some of the highlights or what was something you learned from that book? Oh, well, for our home county. Warwick County? Yeah. No there kidding. were some musicians there. Dick Johnson, who was the publisher of the Boonville Standard, uh-huh. was in uh, Cathcart's band. Dick Cathcart's older brother who was based in Indiana. So he was a trumpet player. And I had no idea uh-huh. until uh, uh, the, the book came out. Kurt Hitch, you know, was the, I think he was a realtor in Evansville. I knew about his Jeanette records, but I didn't really know anything about him personally and what his life was like. Mm-hmm. I have all of the Jeanette records except the rare one, uh-huh. which has Hoagie on it.
Let's talk about Jeanette Records, if you don't mind, for mm-hmm. folks who don't know the significance of that recording studio. Okay. It was a recording studio in Richmond, Indiana. They were one of the first to record ethnic music. They recorded uh, much of the black music from south side of Chicago. Uh, the bands would take a train down to Richmond and, and they would record. They only had the one studio there. They had a studio in New York, but they didn't do much jazz recording there. Uh, they recorded folk music before there was even a folk category. Uh, Gene Autry was made his first records there. Trying to make me believe that I ain't got that old TV. I got the TV. Was it some of Louis Armstrong's first recordings? Yeah, it was King Oliver uh, oh, King records. Oliver. Louis Armstrong was with him at the time. They also recorded the Ku Klux Klan, if I remember correctly. They recorded everybody. <laughs> yeah, and the same week, uh, the, the Klan made some records and King Oliver's band made some records in the same studio. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, you could get custom recordings there, too. If you had the money and, and brought your band in, they would schedule studio time and record for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some perfectly horrible uh, amateur recordings uh, that would be bad to listen to. In fact, the recording engineer noted that on one of the recording cards uh, it was a, a really bad female soprano singing with her husband accompanying her on the piano. And uh, the engineer's note out in the margin was the worst I've ever heard. <laughs> now, they would just get an acetate, right? Jeanette label wouldn't put their sticker on something like that, would they? Well, they had a personal label. Oh, okay. And they're, they're, Two or three varieties. In fact, you could you could choose apparently what what label design you wanted to have on your record. Oh, I see. And uh, you could buy one and, and uh, record and then order 200 copies or whatever you could afford. Uh-huh. And uh, they would do it. Mr. Uh, all of a sudden the name is gone, but they only had one recording engineer. Occasionally, Harry Jeanette, I understand, would record uh, as an engineer if the other guy was out doing something else. The Jeanette had a series of exercise records. They recorded the uh, uh, American Indian music for the first time, and uh, apparently no other company had ever done that. Jeanette was trying to compete with the big people by having stuff that uh, the big guys weren't interested in. They also seemed to be colorblind. Yeah. You know, the, the black bands recorded there uh, very early. Yeah, that was good. Also recorded the Klan because the Klan could pay its bills. In fact, there's a rumor that they canceled them out because of slow payment. Really? <laughs> and they went to uh, a company in Chicago. The Klan did? Yeah. Okay. So it was a very significant recording company that is not too well known in Indiana, but they do have a, a walk of fame, a place where you can go in and actually buy. Star Jeanette Foundation has released some of the old 78 recordings on CD. You can buy those uh, on their website. Did the company go under? Uh, in the Depression, it folded, yeah. Okay. Now, it was. Star Piano Company was the, the parent, and they had a piano factory in the valley there in, uh, in Richmond. Then they got this idea of adding a recording studio. Again, they came out with some very significant records. They recorded uh, Joey Roll Morton. hard to find anymore. You scrounge in a dump for a long time and not find a, right. a Jeanette. 
I remember one of the younger guys that's kind of carrying the torch that mm-hmm. comes is Andy Shum. Yeah. 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 Talk about him for a minute, if you don't mind. Okay, well, I met him for the first time about five or six years ago when he came to one of our bashes or Midwestern regional meetings, if you prefer the formal title. Man, was I surprised. Tom Pletcher had been sort of the Bix interpreter at that time. And Tom was here for our midwinter meeting a few years ago. And at the same meeting, Andy came and played. Tom made some suitable remarks about, I'm passing the torch. Or words oh, yeah. to that effect. Uh-huh. Yeah, Andy uh, plays a strong, big style cornet, mm-hmm. and among other instruments, right. he also has a, a new '78 record out where he plays uh, all the parts in the orchestra. Now, where does a guy get a 78 pressed up at at this point? You know, I don't know. You better ask him. <laughs> better ask him. But I, I do know. He said the only only problem he had was he had to learn the, uh, the slide positions for a slide trombone. He'd never played trombone before he made that record. <laughs> wow. your years of, of collecting jazz and you know, all this this whole world what's the best thing you've come away with well everyone has a, a, an appreciation for music of some kind mm-hmm. and it's people are all different and our uh, our club just happens to group the guys that like traditional jazz and swing and, and early stuff and so just meeting people of like interests, that's the big thing. I enjoy talking to collectors. We have sheet music collectors that come in and uh, musicians from the local area like to come in and meet the out-of-town guys Mm -hmm. that also play the same kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just a fun hobby. Is there a holy grail amongst the records that you, you don't have that you would love to have? Oh, there are some rare bixes I'd like to have. If I had them, I don't know how I would protect them. Right. <laughs> you could drop a, a $1 junk record and break it, but it, you can drop a $1,000 collector's item and it'll break just as well. And, and so that's not good. I, I, I tend to like more the music rather than the, the item. Mm. If I like the music, then I, I just soon have it on CD. Mm-hmm. Is there something you found, like you, you just bought a bunch of 70s not knowing what they were, and found some, a real gem that maybe is not talked about or not remembered? I found a Hoagy Carmichael, Victor Scroll, one time. I don't remember the title, but it's not too well known, and uh, that, that was satisfying. And do you transfer these digitally? Yeah. So you can listen to them, like, in your car or something? Yeah, yeah I uh, have a mixer and a computer program. Hmm. I use a, a program called DC7 that I can uh, record off of tape or off of 78s or whatever I have, and then do a cleanup job on it. If 
folks are interested in the organization, how can they get involved? Well, the easiest way is uh, to get on the uh, on my email address, Phil Oldham, zero two at ATT.net. They ask about it, I'll be happy to give them information. It's a fun group. They show films, yeah. a lot of times obscure things, stuff that's not on the internet, some, some of it is. Uh -huh. They have a listening party where everyone brings their, their 78s and takes turn playing their, their favorite records. Right. Uh, there's a jam session. Yeah. And then there's stuff you can buy. People are, are wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, if you want to check out the IAJRC website, the address is iajrc.org. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. Thank you.